This is Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. I'm Father Yuri Claudio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my friend and teacher, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Hello and welcome, Father Jeffrey. Welcome to all our viewers and all our listeners for a new episode in our series on the services of baptism. Very exciting. We are covering today the Great Litany, otherwise known as the Litany of Peace. Before we start, I just want to put in a little advertisement. Me and Father Jeffrey did a five-episode mini-series on the Litany of Peace uh, for our, our Season 1 Vespers. If you go back sometime in October of 2020, um, you know, scroll to near the beginning of Season 1, we have a five-episode series on the Litany of Peace, where we go through every petition, we look at the biblical context, we look at the historical development of the litany, we look at the, you know, the liturgical, uh, the purpose of putting it at the beginning of many of our liturgies. We look at, you know, how does this affect your life outside of church? We look at what you're supposed to be physically doing and singing and stuff during this. So, you know, two and a half hours on the Litany of Peace for anyone that wants. And we can't get enough, Father Jeffrey. Here we are back again for another half hour on the Litany of Peace. Um, mm-hmm. But it's going to be a little different because they're actually added petitions into the Litany of Peace. So uh, before we dive into maybe a quick recap, um, I just want to maybe contextualize where does this appear in the service of baptism? So, that, you know, just so we can start drawing out the scaffolding of the service. So if you want to start there, Father Jeffrey, just to give people a little bit of a compass of where this is in the service, and then to maybe do a little bit of a recap of some of the main takeaways from our series on the Litany of Peace. Right. So, I mean, essentially, we're at the very beginning of baptism proper, right? So uh, we spoke before about the the various other services that surround these mysteries uh, of initiation, um, you know, not in the least the that service for making a catechumen. And a lot of places these days, that service just proceeds immediately. So people would think that what we're about to talk to sort of happens partway through the service. But but properly speaking, this is where the baptism begins. Right, it, right. You know, we have an opening exclamation, blessed is the kingdom, right? Just like at liturgy. In fact, this reflects the fact that originally baptism would have taken place within the context of, of a divine liturgy. And so, uh, yeah, we're right right at the beginning. Um, so anything that, that's happened before presumably could have happened, you know, days, weeks, months before, including the enrolling right. as a catechumen and, and all the exorcisms and and uh, the rejection of the devil, the affirmation of Christ in the you know earliest church where you know all this developed that those other services uh, in terms of rejection of Satan and affirmation of Christ and the saying of the creed would have been probably the day before at least earlier in the day and now we would be kind of arriving at the paschal vigil which itself begins blessed is the kingdom and so yes we've extricated this and made it a kind of separate service and maybe joined it together with other things but but this is the beginning of the, the sacrament or the mystery of right. baptism. Yeah, I, I think that's an important point because sometimes, like it, depending on which Orthodox church you go to, you show up for the service of baptism and there's actually a whole lot of prayers that are happening in the back before you actually move into the church proper and actually start here, which is sort of the beginning of the 
the service proper. Um, but in other ser- in other churches, you might come and this is really the beginning of the of the service. So you could even go to two different Orthodox baptisms, and they're both Orthodox baptisms, but actually are enacted in different ways, right? Or parts of the service that could be done days, weeks, months earlier are actually attached right at the beginning, uh, just before the beginning of the service of baptism. So there could be a little confusion there, but but, but nonetheless, in, in either case, this this is the beginning of the service of baptism. Um, the things yeah. that come before it, even if it comes minutes before it, still comes before it. That's right. And and you still start with blessed is the kingdom, even if you're partway through the service. So uh, it kind of recalls the fact that we're at the very beginning, but also at the very end. I mean, I think this is part of, of the point. Any of these uh, sacramental services, obviously, first and foremost, the divine liturgy itself, they are services of the end, of, of the eschaton, of, of the, the kingdom. And so we enter into that space and time outside of, you know, our ordinary workaday world and, and the passing of, of chronology, we enter into the keros, the, the special time that is God's inbreaking into this world. And so, you know, you ask, you know, when is this happening? Well, it's happening in the end, it, you know, because everything that's going to happen now is going to be about bringing this person into the the life of the age to come, that is to say, to kind of totally reorient them, you know, rather than being the product of the past and all of the things that they've done or lived or experienced up to to that point, they're going to be become the kind of products of the end of all things. In other words, saints in in the age to come. And so, uh, so we're kind of, we're doing this playing with space, with playing with time as we do uh, in the sacramental services. This reminds me, I'm, I'm taking us on a bit of a tangent here, but this reminds me a little bit about how the wedding ceremony happens in Orthodox churches. Now, I don't want to go too far down this road because this is a, 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 an episode about the baptismal service, and I don't want to confuse anyone. But, you know, if you go to an Orthodox wedding, often it will begin at the back, right? There'll be kind of certain services or certain things that are actually not part of the wedding proper. And then there's a move into the actual church and then an exclamation of blessed is the kingdom and then the actual wedding ceremony begins properly i i i'm seeing a couple some connections between those services yeah, the, the analogy is apt because weddings like baptisms were originally celebrated in the context of the divine liturgy and so you have all of these kind of connections so there were things that you needed to do in order to, to kind of become almost capacitated, you know, capable of, of entering into the holy mystery. So in the case of baptism, as we've seen, it, it was about, you know, enrolling as a catechumen, being exercised, rejecting the devil, and then, you know, affirming Christ. All of this was absolutely preliminary and essential to get to this point. In fact, that very last prayer that we talked about after all the exorcisms and then the the apotaxis and the syntaxis of, of, of that earlier part was about, you know, now make this person, you know, worthy to kind of move on to this next thing. So it's all about preparing the person for that. Just like in the wedding, you know, the, the way that the bridal couple are prepared is that they are betrothed, that they, they have this legal contract, this exchange of rings, this almost married in the eyes of the world first, 
before they are brought to the doors of the church and then escorted in. So this is kind of what's happening here. The, the, the candidate for baptism with his or her sponsor brought forward into the, into the church. And it's, it's a kingdom moment. It's an age to come moment. It's, it's a Paschal moment, right? So even if we're no longer always celebrating, although we ought to, baptism in the context of the Paschal Vigil, it is still Paschal. And we know this because, in fact, the rubrics say that the presbyter vests in white vestments, bright vestments, right? So this is Pascha. Even if it's not Pascha, it, it becomes Pascha in this moment, right? In, in, this, in this moment of the kingdom, in this inbreaking of the life of the age to come into the here and now. Well, speaking of the inbreaking of the life of the age to come into the here and now, the key word in this litany is peace, right? Peace, shalom, irini. So we, again, go back to our series. We, we go through this a lot, but Father Jeffrey, could you give a bit of a recap for those who don't want to go back and listen to two and a half hours of, of us talking about this? Um, the main takeaways of kind of the litany of peace and, and this word peace. And, and I mean, today you just kind of think, okay, well, I'm sitting in a park and it's nice and peaceful. Right. Or, you know, today it wasn't that stressful. I had a bit of peace, but, you know, I, it's, it's much deeper than that. So take it away, Father Jeffrey. Yeah, sure. So this is peace, not in the sense of simply absence of, you know, disorder and dissension and, and, and all that sort of uh, business. It, this is the fullness of what God's vision for creation is all about. Right. So the whole of the world, the whole of space and time are set up for the purposes of peace. Well, you know, in English, that doesn't sound, you know, all that exciting. But if you go to the Greek, Irene, or to the, the, the Hebrew, especially, Shalom, I mean, this is an all-encompassing, you know, uh, concept, really, or, or idea of what the universe, what creation, what the world, what our life can be like. And it's, it's not, as I say, just simply the, the absence of strife somehow or absence of, of, of suffering. It is actually a, a complete way of being in communion with God and with one another that is total harmony, total, total perfection, right? It is, in fact, the vision of what the life of the age to come of the kingdom is all about. So it's so interesting. So we not only start with blessed is the kingdom, we acknowledge the kind of destination, the purpose, the goal of all of this, but we, we actually enter into it in the sense that we then say, as we pray to the Lord, we are doing so in peace, you know, within the shalom of God. Of course, it's not perfectly expressed in our world today. There's a, there's to some extent, uh, you know, already a, a kind of imaginative exercise of, of sorts as we enter into the church, we lay aside all earthly cares in order that we can begin to experience that and practice that, rehearse that for going back out into the world, which is still divided, still the passing away age in this overlapping, you know, period of, of the, the current age and the, the life of the age to come. But nevertheless, as we stand in this place celebrating these holy mysteries, we are made full participants of that shalom, which has yet to be fully implemented or revealed rather in, in our world. Our Lord effects it and brings it, inaugurates it. And yet, you know, we need to kind of return again and again to the church in order to, to begin to participate and practice that. Well, what we're doing in baptism 
is going to be taking somebody who is entirely a child of this present world, a child of the of the flesh, a child of Adam, all of the kind of scriptural imagery, the old man and so forth. And that person is going to die. This service is about death to the, to all of that, to 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 an end to all of that, and a rebirth of, of being born again in the new creation of the life of the age to come. And so, of course, everything that's going to be affected has to be done in shalom, in peace, in the kingdom, right? So it's another way of expressing the same idea that we are already made capable and, and participants in the life of the age to come. That's what it is to be a Christian. It's not that we, you know, kind of are necessarily taken through this process of, of, of you know, you know, leaving aside every aspect of our of our sin behind, or we become totally different kinds of human beings in the eyes of the world and everything. But if our ontology, our very being is made participant of and 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 it is derived from the that kingdom that the life of the age to come that's what it is to be a christian and of course that should then be reflected in our behavior in our life and, and so forth so that it is tangible but it's but what what really is happening to us as we become christians is a death to this life and a, and a being reborn in the life of the age to come in the new creation and so consequently everything that's done in the sacraments is done in peace, in shalom, in the kingdom. Mm, yes. So I'll read the first three petitions. We don't really have to react to them, but we just to observe them. And then I'm just going to list out a couple of the other things that we pray for instead of going through every single one. And then what I'm going to do is jump to the part of the litany of peace in the service of baptism, where we actually insert special petitions for the context of baptism itself. And those are what we'll focus on for the rest of the episode. So the litany begins in peace. Let us pray to the Lord. Or like you could almost say in the context of this peace, let us pray to the Lord uh, for the peace from above and for the salvation of our souls. Let us pray to the Lord for the peace of the whole world, for the welfare of the holy churches of God and for the union of all. Let us pray to the Lord. Already we have this sort of universal idea and, and it's in that context in which we are gathering and praying right? Um, yeah. And then we pray, of course, for the civil authorities uh, for the country or the land that we live in. We pray for our hierarchy, our metropolitan, our archbishop, our patriarch, whoever that might be. Um, and we pray for uh, a few other things. But let us begin, Father Jeffrey, um, with that first petition after the civil authorities. Um, so the petition goes like this. This is the first petition specific to the context of baptism. That this water may be sanctified with the power, effectual operation, and descent of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray to the Lord. So already there we're having this calling upon the Holy Spirit to come upon the face of the waters. This is bringing up all of these Old Testament imagery and e even the, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove coming down on Jesus Christ at his baptism, right? It has um, all of that, uh, all of that imagery is in there. Sure. I mean, this is new creation, right? So what 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 happens in creation is the Holy Spirit descends, the Holy Spirit hovers, the Holy Spirit brings things into to order. The word of God goes forth and the spirit of God goes forth and 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 together creation is brought out of chaos, right? And so you know the focus here is going to be the water initially. In fact, you know the, we're not actually starting with the baptism proper. We start with a kind of blessing of waters, right? Uh, which is very reminiscent of what we celebrate at Theophany as well. Some of the same 
words, the same uh, prayers are used at, at that time. In fact, we're going to, in effect, exercise the water. We've exercised the candidate multiple times, you know, over many weeks in, in the early practice, or at least in that very, you know, short service before the baptism. Now we're going to exercise the waters because, in fact, this is a creational event, right? All of creation is implicated and the water will come to stand here for, for the kind of uh, the whole physical life of the world, both in its positive and negative aspects. We can talk about that. But uh, essentially, this activity of the Holy Spirit is a creational act. And so we are entering into new creation, this move from this age to the life of the age to come. And so the Holy Spirit's role is absolutely crucial, his power operation and descent are all the things that are, are that are invoked here and and this is like in genesis and and like as you say in in the beginning of the gospel too where the holy spirit descends and anoints uh, our lord as messiah you know jesus becomes messiah the anointed one by that descent of the holy spirit the power and operation of the holy spirit Right. And I mean, the next petition speaks exactly to that, that there may be sent down into it the grace of redemption, the blessing of Jordan. Let us pray to the Lord, right? Which is, I mean, I think you've just said that already. Father. Yeah. So Christ's own baptism is actually the power of redemption. Um, so it, I mean, this is it reflects in a way the, the Orthodox uh, vision that the entirety of of Christ's you know life and ministry is redemptive, right? We don't right. locate that. I mean, we principally locate that obviously in his death, resurrection, and ascension, but you know, even his, you know, coming into the world and then entering into the waters of the Jordan is a redemptive act as we right. celebrate in the great feast of theophany. We are saved by that. We are saved by every activity um, in across the entirety of his incarnation. And, and, and that's true. I mean, to go off on a little bit of a tangent, that's true even of his like earthly ministry of one of of actually bringing the kingdom. Right. And, and uh, I think we often think of the story of the scriptures as well. He's born, there's the baptism and then you have all this unimportant stuff in the middle <laughs> and then he gets crucified and risen for the dead. Right. But there's actually a whole lot of like a lot of that stuff is part of the whole redemption story of Christ. Yeah, sure. I think, I mean, we're misled, for example, by the creed and I, and this is no fault of the creed. It wasn't intended, you know, for this purpose. And we've already said the creed in this service, or at least yeah. in the preliminary services up to this. So it's, it's important to bring it in here, but it's not telling the whole story. It, it only tells, you know, certain, certain points, particularly those that were coming under attack from, from heretics and so mm -hmm. forth. So, so, you know, that talks about the birth of Christ and then immediately, you know, his death and resurrection. And you sort of think, well, everything else is maybe secondary or somehow less important, or at the very least, just the proof of his divinity or, or something, you know, of that nature. But it's not true. I mean, every word of the gospels, every word that reflects the life of Christ and all of his ministry, all of his prophetic acts are redemptive and important and worthy of our attention and focus in our spiritual life. Mm -hmm. Now, we won't go any farther down that tangent, but that's a fun one to go down. Mm. Um, let's go to the next one. That there may come upon this water the purifying operation of the super substantial trinity. Let us pray to the Lord. These are high words, like super substantial trinity, you know, purifying the, uh, the, that this water, uh, that there may come upon this water the purifying operation of the super substantial trinity. This is not talk you would normally hear in a coffee shop, you know, 
when you're doing your morning reading or anything like that. Well, all of our listeners should try to work super substantial into their conversations today. Yeah, um, yeah you're absolutely right. I mean, but it's important, I think, that this Trinitarian emphasis is is brought forward again you know we're connecting to theophany to our lord's uh, baptism and as we know in the celebration of theophany on the 6th of january every year that we celebrate the trinity right because uh, as we sing in that apolitikion or troparion that you know we have our Lord himself, the incarnate word, son of God, who is entering into the waters. We have the spirit who descends in the form of a dove. And we have the voice, the voice of the father who says, this is my beloved son. And and the three persons of the divine trinity are, are manifest in that moment in a, in a very tangible way, at least for those who have the eyes of faith. Certainly St. John, the foreigner, would be aware of that. How many others of the hundreds milling about who are waiting for their own baptism or, or whatever who detected this is, is unclear, right? But, but certainly for those who are able to see, this is a, a kind of manifestation, a teaching of the Trinity. And so here too, we evoke the fullness of the Trinity involved in these waters of the Jordan, the waters of baptism, um, that the water may be purified. And again, that's a hint at this kind of activity of God in the world to recreate, not to kind of throw away the old, but to purify it, to, to renew it, right? So the, the new heaven and the new earth is not like a completely other thing it is a renewed heaven and earth that come together and and this is what happens when our lord himself enters baptism and when we enter into those waters with him to die to this life and rise with him into the life of the age to come the podcast you're listening to reflects only the public half of the overall project of enacting the kingdom Father Jeffrey and I actively post new episodes on our completely separate private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate and discuss open and sometimes controversial questions regarding the Orthodox faith amongst a smaller and more dedicated audience. If you become a patron now, you'll get immediate access to our growing backlog of private episodes, including a discussion on the ordination of women and the coronavirus multiple spoon controversy. To get access to our private podcast, go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. Looking forward to having you join our growing community on Patreon. Now back to the show. The next petition, that we may be illumined by the light of understanding and of piety and by the descent of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray to the Lord. Again, descent of the Holy Spirit, right? That's come up multiple times. But we have a new shade of meaning coming out here that we may be illumined by the light of understanding and of piety. Now, of course, to my mind right now, when I think of light and I think of the scriptures, I think of creation. Um, uh, but also it, it mentions here, illumined by the light of understanding and, and of piety. That, that reminds me um, in, in Isaiah, there's this, uh, the song of Isaiah talks about, you know, rising early because... And he compares the sun rising, and through, because of the sun, you can actually see the world for what it is. He compares that with the uh, the understanding of of God and and God's purposes, right? And God's commandments, right? Your commandments are a light upon the earth. It is our knowledge of God that actually makes us able to see the world for what it actually is. Um, that's what comes to my mind. What comes to your mind, Father Jeffrey? <laughs> 
Well, I'm I'm drawn to the fact that we're praying for all of us, right? That mm. we may be illumined, right? Mm. We're this isn't, you know, strictly speaking, only directed towards the the candidate who has been brought forward, you know, and and, and quite you know, visibly, tangibly, you know, this person has been shorn of all of, of their outerwear and so forth, is wearing a in just a loose fitting garment in the earliest church, you know, very nearly they'd be naked by this point. Um, so there's there's a kind of very visible, obvious you know, person who needs illumination here, and yet we're praying for that, that we may be illumined, right? And so in every baptism is a re- kind of return, uh, a restoration of the grace of our own conversion, our own rebirth, and so forth. And so, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, about how, you know, the church um, emphasizing for so many centuries that the baptisms take place in not only in the church and in the whole community, not as a private event separate from that, but but also connected with major feasts, particularly with Pascha, so that everybody is there. You know, this is a time when the church is packed and where, you know, if, if you could only recall your own baptism at such a moment, you know, this would be a very, very clear reminder to you of, of that and of the grace of that and of a return to that so that we may be illumined by this light of understanding and piety. And it's, it's an ongoing process. It all takes place in the one sacrament. It all takes place in that, that holy mystery. We are brought and we are made saints. And yet it takes a lifetime of kind of return again and again in order to kind of fully implement that, to draw down on the grace we've already been given. And so I think it's really uh, important, you know, in the liturgical renewal that took place in the 20th century in, in the Western church, uh, you know, one of the things they did was, you know, restore baptism to the Paschal Vigil and so forth. But they also had these, um, you know, kind of things where there was a, a dialogue with the congregation about, you know, what they would undertake on on, on the mm-hmm. part of the, the person being baptized. And, and there was almost a renewal of their own baptismal vows and so forth that's been introduced and everything. We don't have that in that shape in, in our Byzantine uh, service of baptism. But we have things like this, where we are praying not just for that person, but for all of us that we may be illumined. And so, I mean, it, it's hinting at that that same thing. And, and it's just why, you know, that was so important for it to be renewed in, in a, a part of a liturgical renewal. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to take two at a time here, Father Jeffrey, just to make sure mm-hmm. we can, can uh, read them all. Um, that this water may prove effectual unto the averting of every snare of enemies, both visible and invisible, let us pray to the Lord, that he or she who is baptized therein may be made worthy of the kingdom incorruptible, let us pray to the Lord. So in, in those two uh, petitions, it almost has that same formula of denouncing the devil and affirming Christ, right? That this, uh, that the, the water may prove effectual into the averting of every snare of enemies, but then also that this baptism in this water might prove them worthy of the kingdom incorruptible. Yeah, certainly. So when we were exercising the candidate um, moments before or days, weeks before, um, you know, we had these prayers against enemies and the snares and their counsel and, and, and so forth. And we had the breathing, you know, of the presbyter and, and the kind of expelling of every spirit that that lurks in their heart and, and so forth. And so we're doing the same thing now with the water. You know, we're, we're exercising uh, the, the water and, and thereby the, this kind of symbol of the whole physical world, the whole 
whole of creation and so forth. So like we do at the, the Feast of Theophany, at the Great Blessing of Waters, we're, we're cleansing, purifying, you know, by the, pour, uh, the outpouring and the descent of the Holy Spirit, all, all of creation. And what's the point of all that? Precisely, you know, it's not just the the rejection, the the apotaxis. It's the the affirmation, the syntaxis, this affirmation of Christ and as King and of His kingdom, right? That and that we may be made worthy. It says of the incorruptible kingdom, and so. This is a, a, you know, it's 180 degrees, right? We're moving from from darkness to light, and that's yeah. you know, that's the import of these prayers. And I, we've moved into a, a next section of the litany of peace. In that, we are now directly praying for the candidate, mm. right? Where before it was more general, asking God's blessing upon the water, um, granting you know that we may be illumined altogether. But now, you know, it did say that he, she who is baptized and, and the next two follow that same pattern for him or her who is now come unto holy baptism and for his or her salvation, let us pray to the Lord. Uh, and then again, that he or she may prove him or herself a child of the light and an heir of eternal good things. Let us pray to the Lord. So, yes, it seems that we've moved into a section where we're praying directly for the candidate. But also, I don't know, something that jumped out at me here, Father Jeffrey, is this reference to heir of eternal good things, right? And that that really, that makes me think of sort of how, you know, St. Paul in, in his epistles talks about, you know, ad- adoption, right? That we we are not, you know, necessarily born blood relatives to the family of God. But nonetheless, through our baptism, we are adopted into the family of God. And therefore, we are a child of God. And therefore, we are heirs of everything that he possesses. And, and in the kingdom, we will reign alongside him as you know, kings and queens of, of new creation. So I don't know, that, that, that comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, that is very powerful um, scriptural imagery. It's one I think that we, you know, often underestimate, right? I mean, how powerful is that, that God makes us his sons? And we, you know, we could use inclusive language these days, say sons and daughters, but actually in the scriptural language, it's sons. And that's important because sons inherit a whole heck of a lot more than daughters do, right? Mm -hmm. So that all male and female become sons of God in one sense, Um, you know, but I'm I'm happy with the the more inclusive children of God or or sons and daughters. uh, I think the word heir works really well. Or heir. I mean, all of this is is absolutely, you know, it's phenomenal. And and you're right. I mean, these um, eternal Eternal good things, literally actually the good things of the age to come. Uh, So, you know, all of that becomes our inheritance. I mean, how how wonderful is that? And and why would you not want this? And why would you not kind of lean into this in in, in your life if you knew that was genuinely going to be the case? So much of what we do as Christians is hedging our bets almost. You know, we do the, the kind of minimum in order to kind of qualify for something, but we don't believe it just strongly enough. So we hedge our bets and we, you know, kind of lean into all of the good things of this present age and think that, well, at at the very least we'll have that even if the other thing is just some sort of you know myth or, or some kind of um you know false promise or something but it's not if, if we truly believe this that we become inheritors of the good things of the age to come and full you know inheritors heirs of god himself and participants in all of that what a life we would live that is different from the one that we do right and how we would be so 
much less concerned. You know, as our Lord, it goes right back to the Sermon on the Mount. Everything our Lord says about, you know, don't worry about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. You know, God has so much better things in store for you and he will look after, you know, his children. And so this is what we're, you know, kind of, you know, emphasizing here in this moment of, of, of death to the old man and rebirth in the kingdom. You know, it's a completely new orientation, a completely new set of priorities and so forth. If only we could live up to this. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a couple more petitions here and actually they're quite deep would you be okay going a little longer on this episode father jeffrey i think we could accommodate that sure okay awesome you're getting all our listeners are getting extra enacting the kingdom <laughs> this week okay because this this next one i was i was looking at it and i'm like i can't just lump this in with another one like we really have to to unpack this that he or she may be a member and partaker of the death and resurrection of christ our god let us pray to the lord like that that's, I mean, that's utterly profound. But, you know, it's so often in a baptism, you know, the, the presbyter might just like chant through it and people might not even know what's happening and, you know, da, 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 da. but that he or she may be a member and partaker of the death and resurrection of Christ our God. Let us pray to the Lord. Um, there's so much to unpack there. You know, my mind first goes to St. Paul in his letter to the Romans, right? Talking about don't you know that when you were baptized, you were baptized into his death? <laughs> mm. um, I don't know if you want to take it from there, Father Jeffrey, but. Yeah, I mean, very few people, I think, would connect, um, you know, going to a baptism to going to watching someone die. But that's precisely what happens, right? I mean, we die to this world. We die to our old selves. And as you rightly point out, Romans chapter 6, you know, uh, do you not know that as many as of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We're buried with him through baptism into death. Just as Christ, who was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we also should walk in newness of life, right? So it's in order to have the newness of life, in order to do all those things we just talked about in terms of becoming an heir and inheritor of the things of the age to come, we have to die. And I mean, this is serious business, right? In fact, what we do. I mean, this whole idea, and it's not just a poetic thing about being born again, you know, that, that Christians are, are, are reborn and so forth. And you might think, well, that's just a kind of nice way of expressing the change that takes place, the kind of conversion and so forth. No, it's really serious. It means that before we actually physically lay down our lives one day, which we all will, we have already died fully. We've already done the content of that, which means that all we're doing eventually is a, a, a mere physical thing with, with our bodies. We the, the whole c- content and meaning of that has already been accomplished in our baptism. And why that's significant is that it completely transforms what that moment is into a simple, it's the passage then into the light, the fullness of the life of the age to come. It's the door to the resurrection. If we don't die then we're leaving that death for that moment, which becomes altogether more precarious and difficult and painful and to be avoided at all costs as our society does, right? You know, we live in a kind of death-avoiding world, a death-denying world. Uh, You know, our society has all kinds of problems with death and everything that's wrong in our world kind of results from that mis 
construal of what that is. But if we are properly Christians, if we have been born again, then we have already died. So we have nothing to fear of death because death now is just simply that way of passing through ultimately to the day of the resurrection and to the fullness of the, the new heaven and the new earth. And so this is serious business. It, it shouldn't be undertaken lightly. That's why we have all of that preparation, all those preliminary activities, the years of catechesis, the exorcisms, the prayers, the apotaxis, the syntaxis, all of that is leading up to this moment where we will finally say, you are entering into the Paschal mystery, the death and resurrection of Christ. And so, you know, and you can't go back from that, right? This is a definitive moment. You have died and you will rise again. Mm. And it makes me think of the fact that, like, what does it mean to be a member of the death and resurrection? What does it mean to be a partaker? Like, I, I get, does that mean that we have to, like our entire life has to follow that pattern of death and resurrection. Right. And how does that look like in our daily life? If I'm, you know, working a regular job in a regular city in North America, how on a daily basis am I actually a partaker and a member of the death and resurrection of Christ? Is it something that only happens at the baptism or is it something that continues after? Yeah. I don't know. It's a very fascinating it's a very fascinating question. Yeah, the living out of this is is absolutely key. You know, the, the, in, in some senses, what happens at our baptism is the defining moment of our entire existence, of our entire life. Uh, and so we need to return to it again and again and again. We do that in various ways, you know, by ongoing repentance and conversion and the sacrament of confession, which the fathers talk about as a kind of second baptism without actually being a repetition of it and so forth. But there's another way, and I think, you know, this goes to what you're saying about, you know, how do we carry that forward into, into our lives? Well, St. Paul has this beautiful expression in uh, the second letter to the Corinthians, where he talks about carrying about with him the dying of the Lord Jesus, right? That, that in his life, he's carrying that, right? And so although in his baptism, he has died and risen again with Christ, this one moment, the once for all, nevertheless, we continue as long as we are in this present age to carry that around with us. And the, the, how do we carry about the, the, the dying of the Lord Jesus? Well, we're, he also says we're filling up this, what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Well, there's nothing lacking in the sufferings of Christ except our participation in it, right? And so everything that we bear then in this world, uh, our self-sacrificial love for others, the, the, the pain and sorrow and suffering and, and, and disease and death of this life is in fact transformed into something that is, you know, the gateway to the life of the age to come. None of that lasts none of that can can undermine you know where we're going this goal this directionality to our lives because we're baptized nothing can touch us nothing can affect us yes we will still get sick we will still you know have pain we will still have sorrow we will still have misery in this world we will suffer famine and war and all kinds of things pandemics but all of those things can be transformed into the carrying around of the dying of the Lord Jesus. And what does the dying of the Lord Jesus lead to? Resurrection, right? And so we don't downplay the seriousness of those things. We don't dismiss them as 
you know, negligible or, or, you know, just sort of illusory or anything like that, but they do get transformed. The death itself is emptied or, or kind of, uh, you know, turned around, inverted. See, Maximus the Confessor says that, that what Christ does in his death and resurrection is he changes the nature of death itself, right? And so although we still are dying in our earthly bodies, um, you know, prior to our laying aside of our, our earthly body and then the eventual resurrection of our body. But that that is a it be, can become a positive thing. It be, becomes a spiritual thing. It becomes something of the kingdom because it's the caring about of the dying of the Lord Jesus. So our baptism should inform and transform every aspect of our lives. We have truly died in the, the, the most meaningful sense to the life of this world. And if that's the case, how different, you know, would our life be, our priorities and the way we even receive, you know, others and, and the, the kind of circumstances and sufferings of this life are completely changed in our perspective of them and our, our ability to confront and overcome them. As I say, we have nothing to fear. We've already died. You know, you know, why would you fear death when you've already experienced it? If we truly took that seriously, how different the church would be, the community of the church, and all of us as Orthodox believers. So we're into the last few petitions here. So I'll just read. Um, I'll read these next two, and maybe that that'll be those will be the last that we um, that we address. That he or she may preserve his or her baptismal garment and the earnest of the spirit pure and undefiled unto the dread day of Christ our God. Let us pray to the Lord. And then also that this water may be to him or her a laver of regeneration unto the remission of sins and a garment of incorruption. Let us pray to the Lord. Um, A couple of big words that jump out at me is baptismal garment uh, is the dread day of Christ our God. Uh, and then also is this laver of regeneration, which is uh, a phrase that's used in the uh, when we pray for catechumens, that the Lord would grant them the laver of regeneration. Um, and now that's being brought to its head here, right? That this is the laver of regeneration. Um, so the baptismal garment, I mean, uh, there's a couple of obvious things here. One being the literal robe that they would be wearing, but also there's that sort of, putting on you know the death and resurrection of christ right as your the the baptismal garment that is who we are our our own our own bodies does that make any sense yeah so i mean in both of these petitions we have you know reference to the kind of physical things that are used in in the holy mystery and now i mean all of the mysteries have these outward and visible you know signs about them and they're not just you know one or two things. There's so many things that surround it. So obviously in baptism, the water is the, you know, clear thing and the actual descent into the water and the rising again, three times is one is the key moment and, and action of the sacrament. But we've these other things, you know, we've got candles that are lit. We've got, you know, the, the, the white baptismal garb that's put on that is a kind of clothing, as you say, in, in the life of Christ, you know, the, the, the font itself, which is, the kind of bathtub or laver, you know, um, of regeneration, of purifying. You know, we were used to using things like that to wash ourselves, to purify ourselves. And and here is this fullest washing, this fullest purification. So, so it works on so many different levels. And it's important to be, you know, kind of to have our attention drawn to those and that we pray, um, you know, specifically 
in and through those different tangible signs, but it's also important not to locate the ultimate meaning in the physical object itself. You know, it doesn't matter that, you know, after the service or in the early church, after eight days that that garment is removed, uh, that new white shining garment that is that is placed on the baptismal, um, you know, the person being baptized, um, you know, which, by the way, is the same as the stikarion that, you know, deacons and uh, presbyters and bishops will wear. So so ultimately, the, the fundamental ordination, even of clergy, is the baptismal, you know, garment. But But for most lay people, they don't go around wearing it, you know, certainly not after eight days. Um, so that's not obviously where the meaning is ultimately located. Like with so many of the holy mysteries, the sacraments, the, the, the physical sign is there temporarily, but the spiritual meaning of it is kind of what soaks in, what it would ultimately is embedded. And so when we ask that the candidate may preserve that baptismal garment, we don't mean, you know, after eight days or eight minutes, fold it up, put it in a drawer somewhere and, you know, take good care of it and make sure that it, it's around. Some people like to be buried in their baptismal garment. So it's a good idea to do all of that indeed. However, the main thing is preserving the undefiled life, you know, that this has been a death and a resurrection and that newness of the life of the age to come is what's now being participated in. And that's what has to be preserved. That's what it means. You know, those who have um, been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, we will sing. And it's again, the verse from, from Romans, but it becomes a key part of the baptismal service um, later on when we do the procession around the service table and, and so forth. So the this is what the preservation is. It's about a real faith, a persistence, a perseverance in the faith. At the very end of the baptismal service, there'll be a kind of commissioning of the the newly baptized, the newly illumined, to go out into the world and to persist, to endure, and to fight the faith, the fight, the fight of the faith, right? The good fight, and it starts here with this preservation of the garment of baptism. Um, yeah. So we're, we're talking about the physical things, but we we're ultimately talking about the real meaning and the spiritual, you know, in, enduring of, of the reality beyond the physical thing, no longer being present to our eyes. So let's just maybe put a bow on this. So this is the litany of peace, right? This is the first great act of the service of baptism. We've gathered, you know, the candidate is standing there. We've moved into the center of the church. The presbyter is there. You know, the community is surrounding everybody. You have the font of water that's there. The presbyter is, and is praying these prayers, right? And it's um, just like, you know, we did two and a half hours on the Litany of Peace for our Vesper series. And we talked about how part of what's happening there is the setting of the stage or, or the giving of the context, right? Um, and that's, I think, what's happening here is, it's in the context of all these things that we're praying, right? Um, and I think if we are find ourselves out of baptism and if we listen to what's being said, we're going to be brought into that moment and we're going to be able to appreciate what's, what's happening there and to, and to really pray for that, for that candidate and for ourselves as well. Uh, was there anything you wanted to add uh, in terms of wrapping a bow on it, Father Jeffrey? Sure. I mean, the, just the next thing that we're going to be talking about, obviously, is the prayer to exercise or bless the water. Um, but know that this is totally integrated, that this, that is actually the exclamation on this litany, right? So in a way, we'll be continuing the litany because, in fact, the long prayer to bless the water is is, is simply the exclamation at the end of that litany. So, yeah. um, so mm -hmm. watch for that next time. 
Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Father Jeffrey. And we, I mean, we did two and a half hours on the uh, Litany of Peace, and then we just did another 45 minutes. So the next time we'll be able to wrap it up a little bit more quickly. Then. Uh, I don't know about that. We'll see. We'll try. We'll try. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, if you like what you hear, you can go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to get access to a whole slew of other content. But uh, until next time, thanks very much. Enacting the Kingdom is a patron-supported show, and if you're not a patron, you're only getting half of everything we create. If you'd like to join our growing community of supporters, please go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. Your patronage goes a long way to keeping this show going. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.